Good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. Turn your Bibles with me to 2 Chronicles chapter 17. 2 Chronicles 17. So after 1 and 2 Samuel and after 1 and 2 Kings. Uh, if you've gotten into Nehemiah, you've gone too far. I've been preaching through a few of the kings of Judah this year and will continue to do so as I have opportunity. And I pray that we will be blessed as we come before God's Word. Let us pray as we come to His Word. O Lord in heaven, come before you and we are here to hear a word from you. Have your spirit be present among us, O Lord, to enlighten the eyes of our hearts that we might perceive and understand what you have revealed and have given to your church through the ages. Help us, O Lord, for without your help, these things are in vain. Amen. So it's tough to cover four chapters of Second Chronicles in one go, but I want to keep moving through the kings without getting... Uh, too bogged down. So I'm going to read chapter 17, explain it, uh, dabble with chapters um, 18 and 19, uh, explain those, and then I will read chapter 20. So here from Second Chronicles 17, this is the word of the Lord. Jehoshaphat, his son, reigned in his place and strengthened himself against Israel. He placed forces in all the fortified cities of Judah and set garrisons in the land of Judah and in the cities of Ephraim that Asa, his father, had captured. The Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he walked in the earlier ways of his father David. He did not seek the Baals, but sought the God of his father and walked in his commandments and not according to the practices of Israel. Therefore, the Lord established the kingdom in his hand And all Judah brought tribute to Jehoshaphat, and he had great riches and honor. His heart was courageous in the ways of the Lord. And furthermore, he took the high places and the ashram out of Judah. In the third year of his reign, he sent his officials, Ben-Hael, Obadiah, Zechariah, Nethanel, and Micaiah, to teach in the cities of Judah. And with them, the Levites, Shemaiah, Nethaniah, and Zabadiah, Asahel, Shemiramoth, Jehonathan, Adonijah, Tobijah, and Tobananijah. And with these Levites, the priests, Elishama and Jehoram, and they taught in Judah, having the book of the law of the Lord with them. They went about through all the cities of Judah and taught among the people. And the fear of the Lord fell upon all the kingdoms of the lands that were around Judah, and they made no war against Jehoshaphat. Some of the Philistines brought Jehoshaphat presents and silver for tribute, and the Arabians also brought him 7,700 rams and 7,700 goats. And Jehoshaphat grew steadily greater. He built in Judah fortresses and store cities, and he had large supplies in the cities of Judah. He had soldiers, mighty men of valor, in Jerusalem. This was the muster of them by the fathers' houses of Judah, the commanders of thousands, Adna, the commander, with 300,000 mighty men of valor, And next to him, Jehohanan, the commander, with 280,000. And next to him, Amasiah, the son of Zikri, a volunteer for the service of the Lord, with 200,000 mighty men of valor. 
of Benjamin, Eliada, a mighty man of valor with 200,000 men armed with bow and shield. And next to him, Jehozabad with 180,000 armed for war. These were in the service of the king besides those whom the king had placed in the fortified cities throughout all Judah. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he'll make straight your paths. I think most of us had to memorize that verse at one time, probably one of the first verses we memorized. It's a great verse, great two verses, and uh, I thought I had it memorized. You know, think of it as a life verse, perhaps. We can also think of how, how is this verse true? How is it fulfilled? You know, it seems, seems good that we would just trust in the Lord with all our heart, and He would make our paths straight. It's a proverb, not a promise. Hopefully you've heard that before. It's a proverb, not a promise, so it's, it speaks of what will generally be true. That if we generally, when we trust in the Lord with all our heart and we lean on and understand, our ways are straight. Uh, what we find with the Proverbs, what we find with wisdom literature, is that these Proverbs, when we want to get a good sense of what they mean and how we understand them, we can find them taking on flesh and color in the historical books. I believe that Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 is not summed up any better than in the life of Jehoshaphat. Now, side note about Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, I thought I had it memorized and could recite it from memory, and I was in an interview for a scholarship, and I was being asked questions, and it's like, tell me, tell me a verse that you think of as a life verse. Oh, Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. It's like, oh, could you recite that from memory right now? Well, there's... Um, but it's your heart and, and the path, I don't know. I don't know. I don't got it. I just, I blanked, and I'm kicking myself. I should have had it. And I just, I lost it in the moment. The Holy Spirit did not give me the words I needed. Um, but uh, you know, all things worked out for the better. The Lord did make my path straight. Um, but it's a good verse. I love the verse. And uh, I lost it in the moment. But Jehoshaphat uh, we'll find that this, these verses sum, are, summarize his reign and his life. And so we find this example in Second Chronicles 17 and following. Um, like I said, it's a challenge to take on four chapters in, in one go of Chronicles, but they all hold together. Uh, so we'll have an outline to help us. Yes, they all start with the same letter, these words. We're going to talk about Jehoshaphat's orientation, his organization, and his Orison, orison. It's a fancy word that means prayer. So, his orientation. We'll draw our attention to the first paragraph that I read in chapter 17. Here in these first six verses, we have a description of what kind of man Jehoshaphat is. We're introduced to him, and always at the beginning of these king's reigns, you usually get a, a tip off of what kind of person they are. Um, and it's good news. He walks in the earlier ways of his father, David. He walks in his commandments. His heart was courageous in the ways of the Lord. Uh, another word that shows up a lot in even these first uh, couple of verses and in other places is the idea of seeking or sought. He sought the God of his father. 
He did not seek the Baals. He did not seek idols. He seeks what is good and does not seek what is evil. In this sense, we're given language here in chapter 17 that should remind us that he is like his father Asa, right? It says in verse 1, Jehoshaphat, his son, that's referring to Asa, who had just died at the end of chapter 16. So Asa, uh, Asa is described as a good king, starts off his reign well, he runs well, he reigns well, and uh, he stumbles at the end, is what we, we covered last time, a number of months ago. Asa sought the Lord, and it says that his heart was true to the Lord all his days. But he stumbles. In his old age, he trusts himself and does not finish well. In these series of the kings, this is the question I've reminded us of again and again. What do these earthly kings teach us about Christ the king? Asa taught us something, Abijah taught us something, Rehoboam taught us something, and now Jehoshaphat is going to teach us something. But Jehoshaphat is like his father Asa. He's a good king. We should be, ah, this sounds like his father. He's starting off well. Asa started young, perhaps in his youth. He was very dependent in a good way on the Lord and grew in his experience to trust himself. Jehoshaphat is older than his father when he starts. Chapter 20 will tell us that he's 35 when he begins to reign. So he's experienced. He's been prepared. He's apprenticed under his father. And He's seen his father's reign close up. He's seen his father reign well, and then he saw his father stumble in the end. So perhaps he can live up to that proverb, which says that uh, experience is learning from your own mistakes, and wisdom is learning from someone else's. Jehoshaphat is going to seek to be a wise man and to learn from his father's mistakes and not to be an experienced man who learns from his own mistakes. So he begins his reign. He ascends to the throne. And he, we, are, we are told that his heart is oriented. It's directed towards the Lord. He seeks the Lord. And he loves the Lord. Uh, and this will be told to us uh, a number of times. But even like his own father's heart, yes, he loves the Lord and he seeks the Lord, uh, we're still left with the question, how is this going to go? He's starting like his father, but is he going to end up like his father? And so he is... Uh, he's been given a lesson uh, that his father somewhat had, but not quite the same. He's seen his father reign well and then finish poorly and still receive God's grace in the end. So as Jehoshaphat begins his reign, he also begins it from a footing of, I know what grace is. And that can help in having your reign begin with a focus on the Lord. He knows what grace is. And so his heart and his affections are inclined to the Lord. He seeks the Lord. He's oriented toward the Lord, and his actions are also oriented toward the Lord. We're told things about him. He's described to us, but we're also told things that he does. What does he do? He seeks the Lord, and he commissions the Levites, uh, in verses 7 and following, he commissions the Levites to fulfill their duties. The Levites don't have an inheritance in the land. The Lord is their inheritance. The Levites, some of them are priests, but not all, The Levites live in different cities and places throughout the land. They're kind of salted throughout the people, even though they're a distinct tribe. And so you might hear it said that there's no church or church services or synagogue in the Old Testament. Synagogue system comes later, and our worship services reflect uh, synagogue traditions. Uh, But 
we see in the Old Testament is so different from us when we see sacrifices, we see um, priests, uh, different things. So why do we do what we do on Sunday morning with our preaching and our singing and our worship services? Yes, it sounds like, and it comes from the synagogue system, but I think we get a glimpse of it here with the Levites. They've been sent throughout the land with the book of the law, verse 9, to teach all of the people. So Jehoshaphat doesn't just have his own heart oriented towards the Lord. He is fulfilling his duties in leadership to see that the whole nation is trained up in the word of the Lord so that they are instructed. And so what we see is the Old Testament church, the Old Testament assembly or congregation. The church is the gathering of, or it is the place where God's people are instructed in the word. It's a place where God's people, God's people, or it's the gathering of God's people where they are instructed in the word. That's us right here this morning, and that's them then. Jehoshaphat is a good king who promotes these things, and he promotes the well-being of his people. He supports the Levites in their given calling to teach God's people the word. He invests in the spiritual well-being of his people, and he will see a return on that investment in the future. And so Jehoshaphat does these things. He's oriented towards the Lord, and he even directs the people to be oriented towards the Lord. Also, we see that he, uh, he gets organized. He's, he's leading and focusing on the Lord privately, but he's also an effective leader publicly. He organizes the people, so this is our second point. We see his orientation, not just his orientation, but his organization. So he gets organized, and a good king would have an organized kingdom. We're told some things about his organization. Militarily, he stocks up on supplies, assigns soldiers to different places. Um, has, we see that he's a good leader. He even has people who follow him. Verse 16, Amasiah, the son of Zikri, a volunteer for the service of the Lord. Right? This doesn't sound like somebody who's been drafted into service or uh, organized in some way, but he is saying, I want to serve this king and I want to serve him well and serve the Lord through serving this king. It's always an indicator, the true indicator of a leader, right? What is a leader? You might not think of yourself as a leader, or you may think of yourself as a leader, but there's always one question that usually answers the, the question about being a leader pretty quickly. Who's following you, right? Who's following you? If you have good people following you, that's going to help you to be a good leader. Uh, and if you don't have anybody following you, it may be an indication that you're not a leader. And so, Leaders have these good qualities. They have good people following them, helping them. They don't do it alone. Uh, he also has uh, a good handle on the financial situation. You see that the people are bringing gifts and tribute, and even his enemies, the Philistines, bring gifts and tribute. The Lord is blessing him and making him strong, as verse uh, 12 says, and Jehoshaphat grew steadily greater. So he has this large army. He's organized. Uh, he's leading well. He's not a kleptocrat, that's one who rules by thievery, stealing from the people. This is not a democracy where the people are ruling. This is a theocracy. God is ruling through His appointed officers, and He is blessing the people through this. So Jehoshaphat is the king who is leading, and he's initiating. So his heart is oriented towards the Lord, but he's also uh, publicly doing good by the people. And so he also organizes in other ways um, with his foreign policy and uh, his 
his judicial system. So we'll jump to chapter 18. I don't have time to read all of it. But verse 1 already gives an indication. Chapter 18, verse 1. Now Jehoshaphat had great riches and honor, and he made a marriage alliance with Ahab. So now we're seeing something a little different. His father Asa had made alliances through tribute. Jehoshaphat's following foreign policy a different way, through marriage. Now, I love reading through the Chronicles, part of why I want to preach through them. I've loved reading them for a long time, and I think I know about the kings and the historical books pretty well, pretty confident in that part. If you ask me about the minor prophets or perhaps parts of Ezekiel, I'm not going to know as much. Um, obviously read them, just don't know them. A little weaker there, but the historical books, I thought, I know this pretty well, but I made a mistake that I think we all can make, uh, but uh, it was a mistake I noticed this week. Uh, I just kind of added some words without thinking uh, because it just made sense to add some words. Uh, and I thought that it said something along the lines of, and he made a marriage alliance with Ahab and married Ahab's daughter, blah, blah, blah. It doesn't say anything about Ahab's daughter in chapter 18 or chapter 19. Uh, and so I was trying to make sense of some other passages and realized it, it doesn't say anything. So what is this marriage alliance? Well, it's pretty clear from, uh, if you look at chapter 21, the marriage alliance is he has his son marry Ahab's daughter. It's pretty simple, right? These royal houses have their children, the prince and princess marry each other. It's pretty simple. But I had just read through it kind of on autopilot and just inserted a couple words. And as I did a little deeper studying, those inserted words in my head were not helping the text make sense. Um, <clears throat> so he... He pursues this foreign policy to align with Ahab, who's the king of the northern kingdom, ten tribes that broke away some generations ago, and has his son Jehoram marry Ahab and Jezebel's daughter Athaliah. And uh, sometimes with Scripture, there's these little words or phrases that can mean a little bit more because they don't show up very much, and they're supposed to be a little signal that something is going on here. These words, marriage alliance, well, believe it or not, they only show up one other time uh, in, in the Bible. And that's in 1 Kings 3.1. It says that Solomon made a marriage alliance with the king of Egypt and married Pharaoh's daughter, which is probably why I inserted the words and married his daughter. Uh, that's not good, right? To go and marry the Egyptian king's daughter, right? She's a foreigner. She's not an Israelite. Things do not go well for Solomon. His heart is turned away. This isn't Jehoshaphat marrying Pharaoh's daughter. Instead, it's his son marrying an Israelite king's daughter. Not as bad. Well, we see him confronted on this foreign policy initiative in chapter 19, verses 1 through 3. Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, returned in safety to his house in Jerusalem. But Jehu, the son of Hanani, the seer, went out to meet him and said to King Jehoshaphat, Should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Because of this, wrath has gone out against you from the Lord. Nevertheless, some good is found in you, for you destroyed the Asherah out of the land and have set your heart to seek the Lord. Right? Those who hate the Lord, that phrase, that's who, what Jehu, the son of Hanani, is using to describe Ahab. Ahab's an Israelite. He's a descendant of Abraham, descendant of Jacob and Jacob's sons. But he's one who hates the Lord, so he's as good as a foreigner. 
and, and his wife is a foreigner. So it means his daughter is half foreign. Uh, so this is more getting at the spiritual uh, lack of wisdom versus the physical letter of the law lack of wisdom. And it's also interesting to note that Jehu, the son of Hanani, why is he listed by name and given the title of a seer? It's because he's a prophet who's come to confront the king. Prophets have to do this. Nathan confronted David. Well, Hanani confronted Asa, and Asa threw him in prison. So now Hanani's son, like father, like son, has also become a prophet and is now going to confront the son of the king, who is now the king. So you see, these families have generational history. Uh, it didn't go well for his father. He was imprisoned by Asa. And how is Jehoshaphat going to respond? He's confronted with a very similar situation that his father is confronted with, and he's confronted with, how are you going to respond? And his response is humility. It's to uh, no longer, uh, it's, to, um, it's to continue to seek the welfare of his kingdom uh, and not to uh, seek these foreign wars and, and to ally himself with this, this foreign house. And so he's, he's rebuked, but he responds well, and he also hears a word of grace from the Lord, right? The Lord is not going to blot you out because your heart has sought him. You love the Lord. The Lord sees the heart and knows that. And so, as he's confronted with the same situation that his father was confronted with, he seems to be giving us indications that he is like his father in the good ways and not like his father in the best ways. <clears throat> and so, as he uh, organizes his kingdom, and he seeks this alliance with Ahab and has his son marry Ahab's daughter, we'll see that that does not go well for his family. There will still be consequences. And chapter 18 is full of this great battle and conversation and prophets, uh, but that would be another sermon for another day for the sake of time. In Moving ahead into chapter 19, we see that Jehoshaphat, as he's responded well and seeks the welfare of his kingdom, he also lives up to his own name and its meaning. We find sometimes that the names of these men mean something significant. Jehoshaphat, you know, we say Jehoshaphat, and it sounds kind of funny. Uh, that's why we often remember his name. But Jehoshaphat means the Lord is the one who judges. Right, that's good news. That's good news. It is good that man is not the one who judges, or some earthly king, or some council, or some this or some that. It is the Lord is the one who judges. And to live up to this, in verses 4 and following, in chapter 19, Jehoshaphat reorganizes the judicial system of his kingdom. So he gets organized by appointing judges throughout the land to have them adjudicate different cases. And he charges them, right? He delivers a charge and says, this is what you should do. I warn you. I, I, I tell you of these things. Verse 6, and he said to the judges, consider what you do, for you judge not for man, but for the Lord. He is with you in giving judgment. Now then, let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Be careful what you do, for there is no injustice with the Lord our God. That is good news. Or partiality, or taking bribes. Fear of God, uh, for there is one who will judge even those who judge in this land, right? And those who seek justice. Do not take bribes. Do not show partiality. 
These judges were appointed throughout the land to promote justice and peace and well-being. And he has further reform. So he appoints judges throughout the land, but he also appoints judges in Jerusalem, we see in verse 8 and following. He appoints Levites and priests. So not just so we might think that some of these other judges uh, were men who were qualified in their own lands in, in Issachar or Reuben or Gad or Naphtali. But here in Jerusalem, he appoints Levites and priests. These would have been men who would have been experts in the Word of God. Greater training, greater expertise to handle more difficult cases. The, as uh, verse 8 says, to decide disputed cases. And their seat is at Jerusalem. You can think of this as a type of Supreme Court or Court of Appeals. And he charges them, verse 9, and he charged them, Thus you shall do in the fear of the Lord, in faithfulness, and with your whole heart. Whenever a case comes to you from your brothers who live in their cities concerning bloodshed, law, or commandment, statutes, or rules, then you shall warn them that they may not incur guilt before the Lord, and wrath may not come upon you and your brothers. Thus you shall do, and you will not incur guilt. And so we see with these judges that um, their, their task is a significant task. It's very difficult to adjudicate cases in general, to gather up all this information, to try to make a ruling, to have people swear oaths that they won't lie, and then you're still hoping they're not lying, and to uh, decide these cases. Even in some of the most clear-cut cases, it's much better to just settle it between you two before taking it to a judge or an authority. Uh, the judges are warned of their own proclivity to ha- perhaps take sides. Well, I mean, this guy's poor. You know, get, cut him some slack. Give him a break. He's had a tough life. That's not justice to adjudicate the case and the law, right? Lady Justice holds the scales, and she's blindfolded. That's the idea. It's a good image. Uh, as these judges might take sides in a case, say, ah, this man's pretty wealthy, I've known him for a long time. I wouldn't want his reputation to go down because of this one thing. I'm not supposed to show partiality. Our Lord is no respecter of persons, and our judges ought not to be respecter of persons either. But these cases are difficult, and even among cases, the more difficult ones go to more expertise judges, and they are given a similar charge but it's a little more weighty as they are warned not to incur their own guilt as it's going to be a tougher case. It's going to be more likelihood that you're going to get it wrong. So really take this seriously and don't incur guilt in yourself. Adjudicating cases in a civil, the criminal, or other courts is difficult work. It's painful when justice is thwarted. So let us not neglect praying for those who have such difficult labors. Let us also not put our hope in man, but put our trust in the Lord who will judge all in the last day. So we hear from Hebrews 9.27, it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. Scripture does not pull any punches, right? It speaks of judgment. Jesus spoke about hell more than anybody else in the Bible. We might take a note from Jehoshaphat and think about getting organized, but getting organized might just mean getting reconciled with the Lord. And getting right with God. And so we see Jehoshaphat organize his kingdom. We see uh, him rule well to char- give good charges. 
his heart is oriented towards the Lord and that guides his work. The people are blessed. He makes an unwise marriage alliance, but his heart is set on the Lord and he hears a word of grace. But we also come to our final point, chapter 20, Jehoshaphat's Orison, O-R-I-S-O-N, Orison. I looked up a thesaurus and was trying to find a word for prayer that started with the letter O. So we're going to talk about Jehoshaphat's prayer. And as we see with life, as we see with Jehoshaphat being similar to his father Asa, we see with life that it's the trials that come. They're going to come. They do come. And when they come, this is really going to show the metal of your character. This is going to show and test your trust in the Lord. This is going to reveal things, right? I ask the Lord that I might grow, that Him goes, and He sends trials. This wasn't what I was asking for. I was hoping to just read my Bible and have good things and and grow like a a plant in the sunshine, but the sun can scorch just as much as it can warm. And so Jehoshaphat has this great prayer in chapter 20, and the prayer comes in the midst of a great trial that will define his reign. Here, chapter 20. After this, after he reforms an organization of his kingdom, after this, the Moabites and Ammonites, and with them some of the Mennonites, came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea, and behold, they are in Hazazan Tamar, that is, in Gedi. As if we're supposed to know that. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord, our God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might, so that none is able to withstand you. Did you, not our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel, and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And they have lived in it and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, If disaster comes upon us, a sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. Now behold, the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you have not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt, and whom they avoided and did not destroy, behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession." which you have given us to inherit. O our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Meanwhile, all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children, And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, in the midst of the assembly. 
And he said, Listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you, Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them and the Lord will be with you. Then Jehoshaphat bowed his head to the ground and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites of the Kohathites and the Korites stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. And they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Believe his prophets, and you will succeed. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire as they went before the army and say, Give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. And when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir who came against Judah so that they were routed. For the men of Ammon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting them to destruction. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. When Judah came to the watchtower of the wilderness, they looked toward the horde, and behold, there were dead bodies lying on the ground. None had escaped. When Jehoshaphat and his people came to take their spoil, they found among them in great numbers goods, clothing, and precious things, which they took for themselves until they could carry no more. They were three days taking the spoil. It was so much. On the fourth day they assembled in the valley of Barakah, for there they blessed the Lord. Therefore the name of the place has been called the valley of Barakah to this day. And then they returned, every man of Judah and Jerusalem and Jehoshaphat at their head, returning to Jerusalem with joy, for the Lord had made them rejoice over their enemies. They came to Jerusalem with harps and lyres and trumpets, the house of the Lord. And the fear of God came on all the kingdoms of the countries when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. So the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for God gave him rest all around. It begins with a trial. It begins with a great horde. Three nations, Moabites, Ammonites, and Mennonites, the people of Mount Seir, from the south, from the east, and even from the northeast. Three nations surrounding most of his kingdom. They come against him. And it's a great horde. And his initial reaction? Fear. He's afraid, verse 3 tells us. And so he's not only afraid, but what's he going to do? This sounds exactly like his father, Asa. Asa was afraid, but what does Asa do? Asa gathers all of his money, all of that tribute, all the riches the Lord had given him, and he pays the king of Syria to fight his battle for him. He finds his own means. He uses his own blessing from the Lord to get himself out of the trouble. Not so Jehoshaphat. He was afraid. And then his response, to seek the Lord. What he'd already been doing all his life, he keeps doing in the midst of trial. 
And so he seeks the Lord. He gathers the people in assembly. Now, obviously, as I'm thinking in military terms, I think, isn't it going to help your enemies if you gather everybody in one place so it's more easy for them to destroy you? But he's gathering the people because he is trusting in the Lord with all his heart and leaning not on his own understanding, but he's acknowledging the Lord in all his ways. So that the Lord, as we see, makes the path quite straight. So he gathers the people in an assembly and he leads them in prayer. That's his orison. This is prayer. It's all about the Lord. We can learn a thing or two about prayer here. How often does he just speak to the Lord about what the Lord has already done? You took us out of Egypt. You've given us this land. It's your land for us to inherit. You even protected these people. He knows his history. Jehoshaphat knows the word of the Lord. He knows the book of Numbers. He knows that the Moabites have been spared because they're descendants of Lot, Abraham's nephew. He knows that uh, the Ammonites have been spared because they're also descendants of Lot. He knows that the Meunites have been spared, which seems to be another word for the Edomites, because they're descendants of, of uh, Isaac, descendants of Abraham. The Lord has shown kindness to these people, and they've completely disregarded the Lord's kindness, and now they have come to destroy Judah. And so Jehoshaphat knows his Bible, and he prays the Bible back to the Lord. He said, you made this promise. You've been kind to these people. Now these people flaunt your promises and your kindness, and they've come to destroy us, and we do not know what to do. Are we willing to pray that prayer? Are you willing to pray that prayer? I'm powerless. I know not what to do. Or do we get there after we've tried everything else to get there? He realizes his powerlessness immediately upon hearing the report. His first response is fear and to seek the Lord. Gather the people to pray. And he prays and he ends it with those words that can be your prayer. I do not know what to do, but my eyes are on you. That's what the Lord requires of us. Not strength, not solutions, not power. His power is made perfect in our weakness. And his power is made great and glorious in Jehoshaphat's weakness here as we have read. And so what we see with Jehoshaphat as he uh, meets these trials, uh, we see that the trials squeeze out of him what's already in him. Right? If anxiety was in him, anxiety would come out. If self-confidence was in him, self-confidence would come out. Uh, but what comes out of him is his trust in the Lord. As uh, Spurgeon said of the Puritans, right? What's going to come out of them? And well, if you cut the Puritans, they just bleed the Bible, right? So if you cut Jehoshaphat, what comes out of him? The trust of the Lord just bleeds out of him. And Jehoshaphat, in a sense, passes the test, right? But he passes the test by recognizing his own powerlessness and seeking the Lord and seeking the Lord's strength. And so he ends up sounding like the man from Psalm 112, as the psalmist says, verses 6 or 7, For the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. And that psalm ends with, And what the wicked most desire will utterly decay. The wicked here are the ones whose own bodies end up utterly decaying on the battlefield. Yes, it says that Jehoshaphat was afraid, but it was the right kind of fear. There's different kinds of fear. He's, he's afraid of this horde, but uh, he's more afraid of not having God's help. He's more afraid of not having God's help in this battle because he knows that, yes, there's this 
army. We've got we've to know our limits. You know, I don't have enough soldiers to fight this battle, but we've been told, chapter 17, how big his army was, how prepared his army was, and he knew he couldn't win this battle because he was more afraid of not having God's help. And so he calls a fast. They worship. They gather. He leads in prayer, a good king. And they worship. And what happens? The Spirit of the Lord shows up. Can't miss an opportunity in verse 13 to offer a word of encouragement to parents like myself, having our little ones in the worship service. We have nursery. Please feel free to use the nursery. It's there for a purpose. But the goal is the kids will be here. Why? Because we don't want our little ones to miss out on the Spirit of God showing up in our presence. This is a holy people for Jehoshaphat. This is a holy people gathered in a holy place for a holy purpose to worship the Holy One of Israel, led by holy men offering up prayers. And they're missing something. But the Lord fills what's missing because the Holy Spirit shows up. How far are we from them? A holy people gathered in a holy place. Dare I say, led by holy men to worship a holy God, gather for a holy purpose to hear from His holy word. And we need to hear from the Holy Spirit. And we need to hear exactly what Jehoshaphat heard. We need the Spirit of God to show up and tell us with His word. We need Him to say the same thing that He told Joseph through his holy angel who came from the holy presence of the Holy One of Israel for a holy purpose to deliver a holy message from the Holy Spirit of the work that the Holy Spirit was doing in Mary. And what is the message? It's the same message for the Jehoshaphat. It's the same message for Joseph. It's the same message for you. It's salvation. You shall call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. So Jehoshaphat hears what he was desperately praying for. He hears salvation from the word of the Lord. He could have no greater confidence, and you can have no greater confidence today to hear salvation from the Lord for your sins. Jesus Christ came into the world, the King of kings. As Psalm 136, the psalm that's on their lips when they go into battle, to sing of the steadfast love of the Lord. The psalm that's on their lips says... We give thanks to the God of gods. We give thanks for the steadfast love endures forever. We give thanks to the Lord of lords. That's the title for Jesus. He's the Lord of lords. He doesn't quite say it, but he's the king of kings. So he's a greater king than Jehoshaphat, and he's going to pray greater prayers than Jehoshaphat will pray for you as a king who is also a high priest. And so Jesus came 
and even his own name, as Jehoshaphat lived up his own name, as one who testifies the Lord is the one who judges Jesus, lives up to his own name and says, salvation is of the Lord. And it's specifically revealed through an angel from heaven that it's salvation for your sins. So you don't need to look anywhere else. You don't need to worry about anything else. You can look to Jesus Christ with great confidence that you have forgiveness of sins in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Well, Lord our God, we've come to you from your word, needing to have heard a word from you. Let it not return empty, but let it fulfill the purpose for which you sent it out, just as you send out your angels, just as you send out your spirit. Let it fulfill your mighty purposes, O God, either in this day or in many days to come, day after day. Lord, help us as we worship. Help us to believe that we may be established. In Jesus' name, amen.